Welcome back, warriors. Tanse Sego Anibuju. Kwe Ninda Luizi Pampometer, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. For those of you who are regular listeners, you know what this show is all about. But for those of you who are new here, this podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, and practices. It's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. And one of the most important ways that we can do that and protect one another is to stay alert. And what I mean by that is to know what is happening around us, legally, politically, economically, socially, and culturally. Today, I'll be talking to you about the five core findings from the United Nations Special Rapporteur on Violence Against Women, Its Causes and Consequences. She wrote a report on violence against Indigenous women and girls in Canada. This report was released just weeks after the final report of the National Inquiry into Murder to Missing Indigenous Women and Girls, which found Canada guilty of both historic and ongoing genocide against Indigenous women and girls. But the Special Rapporteur's report got very little media attention and no action from federal or provincial governments. So, make sure you listen to the whole podcast because at the end, I share with you some of her most important recommendations on how to end violence against Indigenous women and girls. And I think knowledge is power and we need to spread it and we need to share it. But I think first it's important to understand why this report is important. So the Special Rapporteur, Dubrovka Simonovic, was appointed as the United Nations Special Rapporteur on Violence Against Women, Its Causes and Consequences, in 2015 by the United Nations Human Rights Council. So her mandate is specifically to collect information about violence against women and obviously its causes and consequences, from governments, treaty bodies, human rights agencies, and non-government organizations. And she does that with a view to making recommendations for the purpose of ending violence, addressing the root causes, and remedying the consequences. And that means reparations and compensation for the women that have been impacted. And that's another part of the conversation that rarely gets talked about. In order to do this, she visits countries, meets with governments, and she also makes a point of meeting with like individuals, experts, indigenous groups, uh, lots of non-government organizations that, you know, represent anti-poverty, women's rights, human rights, and all of that kind of stuff. Generally, what happens is once she visits a country, she reviews all of the information that she's received, you know, all the written stuff and all the things that people have told her in person, and she issues a report on her findings. And like most United Nations Special Rapporteur reports, each report highlights some positive steps that the governments are taking and then outlines the core gaps and concerns and what to do about them. And she's not the only special rapporteur in the United Nations um, system. There's rapporteurs on indigenous peoples, on missing and disappeared peoples, on torture, like there's a whole bunch of different subject areas. But her timing was very important here. Now, in our case, the special rapporteur visited Canada in April of 2018. 
She met with numerous federal cabinet ministers like the Department of Justice, Indian Affairs, uh, Status of Women, Public Safety, the Department of National Defense, Corrections, and Canadian Border Services. She also met with provincial representatives from Ontario, Quebec, Manitoba, and Nunavut, as well as went to various prisons with human rights organizations and a number of Indigenous representatives. And I had the opportunity to make submissions to her and her delegation in Toronto and help answer their questions around both the root causes of the violence against Indigenous women and girls, but also recommendations on how to go forward. And as some of you might know from my past work, I also focus very specifically on racism, abuse, and sexualized violence committed by police agencies and corrections officials all over Canada as part of the problem of murder to missing Indigenous women and girls. I also had the opportunity to help her, uh, help assist her team to meet with different grassroots First Nation organizations and other groups in Manitoba and really learned a lot from those who are, you know, they're actually working on the ground with our people. They're working in shelters, providing safe transportation, they conduct safety patrols, they help transition people out of prison, they help families uh, who've been involved in child and family services. She really had a, a good opportunity, especially in Manitoba, to hear directly from people that are working with Indigenous women and girls on the ground, on and off reserve, but also and especially in urban areas. And given that the National Inquiry was also going on at the time of her visit, she also communicated with the t Chief Commissioner of the National Inquiry into murder to missing Indigenous women and girls, and I think that was important as well. Her report's also important because it's an external report. That means someone from outside of Canada with no business or political ties or conflicts of interest with Canada actually considered what's going on here and offered an independent assessment. Also important that she came here because she considers the issues of violence against Indigenous women and girls through a human rights lens. So whether the country she's visiting is ensuring that the basic human rights of Indigenous women and girls are respected, implemented, and protected, and if they're not, her goal is to make recommendations to ensure that those breaches of those basic human rights are corrected, and the victims are compensated. So this particular report was released on June 27th, literally just weeks after the report of the National Inquiry into Murder to Missing Indigenous Women and Girls was released, which I think was around June 3rd. So here's the core findings about Canada that I think are some of the most important to understand from her report. The first one is that Canada's proclamation as a feminist government doesn't match with the actual conditions for women in Canada. And I think that's a really important statement because it cuts through the propaganda and politics that, you know, Justin Trudeau has been going around calling himself a feminist prime minister, but the conditions of women on the ground don't match. While this, you know, the special rapporteur found that Canada's decision to proclaim itself a feminist government and commit to a adopt feminist foreign policies was commendable and, you know, obviously countries should be doing that. 
She noted that women's lives in Canada are still marked by systemic gender-based violence, especially concerning Indigenous women and other women who encounter multiple forms of discrimination, uh, say, for example, racialized women or women with disabilities or living in poverty. And she said that that includes significant gaps in the prevention and protection of Indigenous women and girls from violence. Now, her second core finding was that Canada's failure to protect Indigenous women and girls' economic, social, and cultural rights have exacerbated the high rates of violence against them. The point here is that it's Canada's failure to protect the core human rights of Indigenous women and girls that leads to their situation of poverty and violence. It's not through any fault of the women in themselves. And I'm going to quote from her. Indigenous women from First Nations, Métis and Inuit communities face violence, marginalization, exclusion and poverty because of institutional, systemic, multiple intersecting forms of discrimination not adequately addressed by the state. And you'll notice that she doesn't say anything about these women. It is not the fault of these Indigenous women. It's not because of any kind of high-risk lifestyle. It's not because of decisions that they're making. It is because of failures to act by the state. Now, the third really important point is that she says, while Canada has ratified the CEDAW Convention in 1981, its provisions are not fully incorporated into the national legal system. So for those of you who don't know, CEDAW is the Convention for the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women. And Canada ratified it or signed on to it in 1981. And when a state um, at the international level ratifies or signs on to any of the human rights treaties or conventions, they're supposed to take steps to fully incorporate or implement those provisions into law in Canada. Well, this has been enforced since 1981, and it's never been fully implemented into law in Canada. And, you know, think about what that means, because Canada's been going around saying, oh, we fully support UNDRIP, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, and we're going to fully implement that into law. Well, they have a whole list of human rights laws that they promised to implement, and it's 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, and they're still not implemented. So that, I mean, we really have to look at Canada's history and record on whether or not they implement these important human rights things. So that means that CEDAW is not does not have a direct legal effect in federal, provincial, or territorial governments. And the division of powers means that there's different laws in different jurisdictions, and the failure to strictly adopt CEDAW, both federally, provincially, and territorially, means that there are significant gaps in protection for women all over the country because of these different jurisdictions. And this is despite being reminded of this in every single report and, you know, every set of recommendations that have come out of the various United Nations human rights bodies. Canada knows this is a problem, but hasn't acted to address it. And that's on Canada. Canada needs to live up to its international commitments, otherwise they ring hollow. And we know what happens. It's Indigenous women and girls that pay the heavy price with their lives. So the fourth point is that Canada's gender violence strategy lacks a human rights framework. 
Again, the Special Rapporteur welcomed Canada's launch of its strategy to prevent and address gender-based violence that they did launch in 2017. However, she made the same observations that women's organizations have made. The strategy appears to be mainly project-focused on specific areas and lacks a human rights-based holistic legal framework with comparable data collection for all forms of gender-based violence against women in all jurisdictions. This is considered one of the biggest obstacles to addressing socioeconomic conditions in First Nations, especially when it comes to Indigenous women and girls. The ongoing project-based funding, it's superficial, it's minimal, it's uneven, it's not stable in any way, it's not predictable, you can't count on it, it takes a lot of energy and time and frustration to even get it approved, and these projects are not at all connected to substantive outcomes. There is change that's happening and that's important to address here. The fifth point is that Canada has failed to address systemic racism and trauma from colonization. The Special Rapporteur paid special attention to the uniquely high rates of violence against Indigenous women and girls and its roots in racial discrimination. While other violent crime rates are decreasing, the rates of sexual assault have not decreased. She also noted that Indigenous women and girls generally, and particularly those with mental health issues and or disabilities, are especially vulnerable to sexualized violence, which she notes is very much rooted in gendered colonization. And what she means by that is the targeting of Indigenous women and girls for violence. So Canada's failure to address racial discrimination and gendered colonization has resulted in Indigenous women and girls being the victim of racism, abuse, neglect, exploitation in both state and society, police sexualized violence, the over-incarceration of Indigenous women and girls and sexualized violence in prisons, human trafficking, forced and coerced sterilizations, sexual discrimination in the Indian Act and exclusion from their communities. I mean, there's a whole long list which is evidence of Indigenous women and girls being the victims of gendered colonization. So she has some core recommendations and I'm not going to read them all, but there's some that I'll summarize because they're pretty important. So first of all, she says to harmonize all laws in all jurisdictions with CEDAW, and with regards to Indigenous women and girls, specifically to also harmonize all laws with UNDRIP. Secondly, she recommends to adopt a national action plan on violence against Indigenous women and girls that is separate from the national action plan on violence against women in general, because Indigenous women and girls are targeted specifically with gendered colonization and racism and sexism combined, which is different than violence against in Canadian Canadian women generally. Third, she recommends to urgently repeal the discriminatory provisions of the Indian Act and any other laws and policies in Canada that discriminate against Indigenous women and girls. And I think that's important because she's focusing on more than just the Indian Act. Fourth, to adopt measures to improve the socioeconomic conditions of Indigenous women and girls with adequate funding, to address the high rates of Indigenous children in foster care, to eliminate the over- representation of Indigenous women and girls in prison, to investigate all allegations of forced and coerced sterilization, 
and to have civilian oversight of the police. That's a summary of her core recommendations, but I think at this point it's very important to share with you, you know, the more detailed wording of her recommendations on how to deal with racism, abuse, and sexualized violence in policing because her report is in some ways historical because there are few, if any other, inquiries, commissions, or investigations that ever attempt to address this major problem in policing. I mean, we've had inquiries talk about racism generally, but I haven't been able to find any that specifically target the racism, abuse, and sexualized violence committed by police forces and corrections officers all over Canada, specifically against Indigenous women and girls. I mean, we know Human Rights Watch has been in BC to highlight, you know, the numerous reports of RCMP officers uh, raping and physically abusing uh, Native women and girls. We know about the Human Rights Watch report, you know, that came out of Saskatchewan that talked about the sexual harassment and sexual assault of uh, Indigenous women in police custody, but it doesn't get any media attention and there hasn't been enough action to actually deal with it. So here are her three recommendations specific to ending sexualized violence in policing. And I'm, I'm reading this, so this is a total quote. Respectively, with all levels of jurisdictions, establish civilian oversight of police as an important step in monitoring police response to sexual assault and sexual assault survivors, especially against Indigenous women and girls. Number two, establish an independent civilian oversight body for the RCMP to monitor police response to sexual assault and sexual assault survivors, especially against Indigenous women and girls, and support an external review conjointly with civil society and Indigenous communities of the disproportionate levels of racism, abuse, and violence towards Indigenous women and girls by police and correctional officers with a view to implement preventative measures and enforcing institutional accountability on a concept of zero tolerance for excessive use of force and sexual harassment or assault. Overall, while Canada likes to sound like it's committed to ending violence against Indigenous women and girls, their laws, policies, practices, actions, and omissions are lacking in even the most basic human rights for Indigenous women and girls. And in fact, it's their complex set of laws, policies, practices, actions, and omissions that have been very targeted against Indigenous women and girls that led the National Inquiry to find that Canada is committing ongoing genocide and it needs to stop. I would really like to hear your thoughts about this report from the Special Rapporteur. What do you think about her report? I mean, what are the most important actions that you think Canada should take right now? What I'll do is I'll post a link to her report so that you can read it yourself. I mean, it's only 20 pages and these reports are not comprehensive. They're not like commissions or inquiries where they're hundreds of pages long. They only skim the surface. So what I might also do is do a YouTube video about this report because I don't think it has received near enough attention. Thank you all for tuning into my show. I really appreciate it. And the more you can share these shows with other people and help educate and advocate is a real help. If you like this episode, please consider supporting my podcast by subscribing, liking, and sharing each episode. Make sure to leave me your show ideas in the comments section. And for those of you who are new here, 
I'm currently hosted on SoundCloud, but you can also access my podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. You can also follow my other activities on my other social media. I'm on Instagram as Pam underscore Palmeter, and I talk about warrior living and some of my behind the scenes and day-to-day activity. You can subscribe to my videos on YouTube where I produce regular YouTube videos that tackle difficult political and legal issues for Indigenous peoples. I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and there's lots of different ways in which we can engage. I really appreciate all of you who share all of this information with other people so that we can make our advocacy stronger. I really appreciate it. It's important especially when it comes to issues of core basic human rights for Indigenous women and girls. Till next time, keep living a warrior life. Walaliyah.